All right, guys, we, uh, um, we, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, and, uh, you know, just a little bit of background. Uh, you know, there's 24 chapters in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we entered chapter 19, I think, last week or week before last. And uh, those last five chapters have to deal with the last week. The last week out of 24 chapters, the last five chapters have to deal with the last seven days of Jesus' life here, here on earth. And uh, so uh, he, he came to Jerusalem, came up to Jerusalem for the last time, and he begins to tell these parables. He's beginning to tell, uh, you know, in greater depth, greater detail, parables, and we're going to talk about one of those parables this morning. We're going to begin in verse uh, uh, 9 of chapter 20. It says, And he went to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, and he rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenant so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over and said, This is the heir. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And so they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do with them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when the people heard this, they said, May it never be. I want you to cling on to those words for just a moment. I'm going to come back to that in a sec. But may it never be. And Jesus looked directly at, the, at, at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of this which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. And the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew that he had spoken this parable against them but were afraid of the people. All right, so uh, the owner, let's just kind of break it down. I'm sure you understand this, but just make sure we're all on the same page. The owner of the vineyard is God, and uh, the vineyard was the children of Israel. And, uh, you know, God was looking for fruit, so he sent servants. He sent the prophets to the children of Israel over and over again. And we see where these prophets were mistreated. Some of them were beaten. Some of them were put to death. And then finally, after a period of time, over a period of time, God says, I will send my son. And we know what they did to, to Jesus, the son of God. And so God is saying, I'm going to take this vineyard away from you, and I'm going to give it to a people and I believe he's talking about the Gentile people. He's talking about you and I. He's talking about people like, you know, that are filling churches today. God's saying, I'm, I'm going to take this vineyard and I'm going to give it to them because you would not, you, were, you rebelled against me. He's talking about the chief priest. Remember how every, at every turn they could, they objected to Jesus and to his teachings and to his saying. They rejected the word of God. And so... I want to just kind of pick up from that. I'll come back to that at the end of our service, at the end of this message this morning. But I want to pick up on this rebellion. Now, we know that rebellion was the original sin. It's what Adam and Eve did against God. Now, they rebelled in the garden. God sent forth his word and gave them a word that they could touch of every tree and have of every tree in the garden except for one. 
and uh, they rebelled against God's word and took of the tree that they were commanded not to eat of. There are two great characters in the Old Testament. I'm going to just use those for my illustration this morning, David and Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, and uh, Saul had this problem. It's inherent in each of us that, you know, that, uh, I mean, all of us struggle with this. Every, every one of us in this room struggle to some degree with rebellion, rebellion toward God. But I want, to, I want to just look at David's life, and I want us to look at uh, Saul's life for just a moment this morning, then we'll come back and then uh, tie this, see if we can tie it together at the end of my message. It says um, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites. Keep this in mind. This is important. God's saying, I'm going to punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up out of Egypt. If you don't know the story, it's Old Testament story. They, let, they set ambushes for the children of Israel. The Amalekites did. And, you know, we're, we're several hundred years past this, and God still has not forgotten. I mean, it's still on the, the heart of mind and the heart and mind of God that when he called the children of Israel out of Egypt, that this group, this nation called the Amalekites laid an ambush for them, and, uh, you know, God's still upset about it. So here we are several hundred years later, and God's saying, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, this is God's command to Saul, the first king of Israel. He says, now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Do not do, uh, put to death their, women, their men and women and children and infants and cattle and sheep and cattle and donkeys. Everything that they had, God says, put it to death. And so Saul takes off with this mission and said, I'm going to do it. I'll do everything that you said for me to do, God. I'm going to do it. Well, we pick up the story. It says, uh, you know, uh, the prophet Samuel goes to Saul and says, you know, what, what's going on here? You know, I, I, God gave you a word. He gave you a commandment and told you to go out and destroy the, the Amalekites. He says, why did you not, listen to this, why did you not obey? This is where that rebellion comes in. When we have a word from God, when God has spoken uh, specifically to us, and we don't do what God's saying. That applies to us today. Why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on a mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of the Amalekites. He says, I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, now this is that blame game. This is what we always, you know, we get in trouble. It's not never our fault. It's always someone else's fault. He says, but the people, let's talk about the children of Israel, took the plunder and the sheep and the oxen and the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What he's saying is, well, this next verse says it. Behold, to obey God's voice is better than to sacrifice. He said, so Saul was saying that, um, you know, the, the, the people gathered these because we know that we're going to be sinning in the future. So we kept the best of the animals so we can offer the ungodly sacrifices of the Amalekites uh, who worship totally different gods so that we can, when we sin, that we can offer that back to God. And God's saying, you know, I don't have any pleasure in that. What I really want you to do is be obedient to me. I want you to obey my voice so you don't have to go back and sacrifice. He says, so does the Lord have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, 
To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed the fat of rams. For rebellion, listen to this, rebellion, dis, being disobedient to, the God, to God's voice, is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord by rebellion, he says he has rejected you from being king. All right, now that's a lot. That's a lot right there. So I want to just tell you this morning, guys, that, that with sin, that there is a consequence for sin. Let me just kind of point this out before we move on. Um, you know, you may be think that, thinking that you can get away with something. You may just say, you know, God, I, I'm going to obey. First of all, I want to tell you that we don't serve a cafeteria-style God. It's not like you walk through the line and say, okay, I'm going to do this, this, no, I don't want that. I'm going to do this and this, and, you know, you know, I'm, you know just leave me alone, God, in the areas here of, you know, sexual sin or you know, whatever it might be, anger, bitterness, greed, idolatry, just what, you know, it's God, I'll serve you in these areas, but I'm not going to be obedient in these areas. And when you take on that mindset, you've opened the door for the consequence of sin in your life. Now, I, let me just kind of point this out, because it's, sometimes it's not real obvious. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes, because the sentence, the judgment against an evil work is not executed speedily, what that means is that because when you sin, God doesn't just smite you to death right, right when you sin. He says because the, ex, because the sentence against say, evil work is not executed speedily, the heart of man is intent to move that direction. What that simply means is I got away with it. And because I got away with it, God must not care. You know, it must be okay with God that I'm living in sin because I haven't been punished for it. All right, you understand that? All right. So... Listen to this. There is, when we rebel against God, there is a consequence for our sin. Just like Saul was removed from being king, it didn't happen immediately, but it did happen. He lost the throne. But from Psalm, we read this last week, this is uh, from Psalm 107, and it says that some set in darkness in the deepest gloom. I believe that's talking about depression and discouragement. Prisoners suffering in iron chains. They've, been, they, they, they've become slaves to something. They, they are chained in their darkness. For they had rebelled against the words of the Lord. This is what happens when we rebel against the word of the Lord. We sit in darkness. We sit in deep gloom. Laughter and joy and gladness. All of these things have departed from us. It says, uh, they despised the counsel of the Most High. So he, speaking about God, subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. And then it's kind of like they came to their senses, kind of like the prodigal son. It says, they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. He says, let them give thanks to the Lord for the great things that he's done. This is Psalm 107. You can go back and read it later on. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, he's warning the children of Israel. He's saying, you know, be careful. He says, because of their rebellion, listen to what he says. He says, because of their rebellion, the Lord afflicted them, think about some of these things, with madness, with blindness, with confusion of mind. At midday, you'll grope about 
about like a blind man in the dark. And you will be unsuccessful in everything that you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and you will be robbed and no one will rescue. These are the consequences. These are some of the consequences of our sin. And even though it doesn't happen immediately, you've opened the door for the consequence of sin when you rebel against God. And so I just want us to think about this this morning. I mean, I want you to think about your life. I mean, is there any area in your life that you're being disobedient to God to, whether it's in adultery or fornication or homosexuality or drugs or alcohol or some of the ones that we might even not consider to be sin because we think, man, the, you know, what I'm doing is not as bad as that. At least I'm not a, I haven't killed anybody. That's what we always say. We always put that at the top of the list. I haven't killed anybody yet, you know. But, you know, what about, you know, God puts all of these, he talks about our heart. And he talks about these evil things that come out of our heart, like jealousy and greed and bitterness and idolatry. And idolatry is putting anything, you know, ahead of God. It's like putting your plans in your life. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. And if you will lose your life for my sake, then you will save it. It's, it's like telling God to wait. It's kind of like Joni standing, I mean, uh, Janae standing up here before saying that, you know, uh, we need help. We need help in the nursery. We need help in the certain area. And you're sitting there saying, well, I'd like to do that, but I got, I've got my life to live. I got other things that I need to be doing. All right, I'm getting awful quiet in here. <laughs> All right, listen. Now, it says that the, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from, from Saul. God's Spirit. I mean, when you look at the call of God in Saul's life, I mean, it's so beautiful. It's like it, it says God changed his heart and turned him into a different man. And he's prophesying, and it's just like, man, the whole nation's following him until he was disobedient from God or toward God. And when he became disobedient toward God, look to what he opened the door to in his life. It says in 1 Samuel 16, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit tormented him. He opened the door to the demonic by being disobedient to God. So, I want to just tell you, let me just go through four points here real quick that all of us will face and all of us will be tested in this area in rebellion. You'll be tested in these areas of rebellion. Here's four tests to being submissive, being submissive to authority. The first one is the arrogance test. Now, Saul had, when, when God... Uh, uh, when God called Saul or Samuel to go anoint David, he says that he's rejecting Saul from being king. And David is going to be the new king. But there was a time period between when David was called to be king and when he was anointed to be king. He was anointed to be king. I mean, this is fresh. I mean, you look, you know, if you're looking at the chapter, chapter, you know, 15, 16, 17, these two chapters right here, that that God sends uh, Samuel to anoint David with oil and the Spirit of God departs from Saul and the Spirit of this new anointing is upon David. David has been called, he has been anointed, but he has not been appointed. And, you know, um, the first test that we have to deal with, all of us will have to deal with this, is the arrogance test. Now, David goes out to the battlefield one day, and this is right after he's been anointed. Um, he goes out, he meets, uh, sees the, the men on the line, he sees Goliath there. And David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Now, notice what he says. He says, your servant. 
And this, this phrase is repeated time and time again. Your servant will go out and fight against him. And Saul replied, no. He says, you are not able to go out and fight against this Philistine. You're only a boy, and he's been fighting from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came near to carry off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Verse 36, your servant, now notice this, he's, this is a righteous appeal that even though Saul has told him no, David is, is using this righteous appeal. This is what we do. We don't get arrogant. We don't get in his face. Now, it had been real easy for David at this point in time. I mean, this is fresh. He's just been freshly anointed just a chapter or two before. He could have said, hey, Saul, you see this oil on my head? You know what that's from? I'm in. You're out. I'm, I'm the king. I'm the new king. I'm the new kid on the block. I'm in, and you're out. And, but he didn't do that. He, kept, he was humble, and he kept saying, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to them, after notice this, three righteous appeals to Saul, and Saul said to him, go, and the Lord be with you. And so, I mean, he, did, he didn't get arrogant. He didn't get in his face. You know, uh, it kind of reminds me of when I, you know, many of you know my background in real estate. And, you know, I, in 1997 or 1977, I got a real estate license. And my business just went off the chart. And uh, God was blessing my business. I was anointed in my business. I had one of the best, finest, greatest, most successful practices in Santa Fe. And I happened to be at the county. Just one day, it was just funny how God just kind of, you know, you know, when you're, I don't know, it's just, uh, you know, experiencing the blessing of God. You guys all know what this is like, is to be in the zone. It's like nothing you can do fails. It's just like God's favor and blessing is here. And I was at the county office one day visiting a friend of mine um, who was the land use administrator, David Schutz, many of you know him. And uh, I walked into his office, and on his office desk, there was a, a set of uh, plans that showed a subdivision of about 25,000 acres. And so I asked him about it. I said, you know, what is this? He says, well, we're getting ready to approve this. And, uh, you know, my specialty was land. I specialized in land. And there was no one else in Santa Fe at that time that specialized in land. I was the only agency in, in Santa Fe that specialized in land. And so, um, you know, so right there, I mean, the, the ink is still wet on, this, on these plans. And I'm asking the guy, I said, well, look, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm the land specialist in Santa Fe. You know, give me a name and a number. And he just writes it out. Here's the person you contact. And so um, keep in mind, there's, a tw there's 24 lots. Two of them are, are wilderness lots. So they have 22 lots that are about 25,000 acres for sale. And so I have the contact number for this guy in Albuquerque, a guy named Jim Colgrove. So I call up Colgrove, and he's got, man, he's got this crusty old voice, you know, just kind of like you can tell on the other end of the phone. This guy's a grump. And so, I, Mr. Colgrove, this is Ron Sylvester. I'm the land specialist in Santa Fe. I understand you got some land that you want to sell. And uh, I said, uh, I'm the land man. Everybody knows me. This guy's just like this old raggedy voice, you know. He's like, son, I care less who you are. <laughs> he said, there are 80 real estate offices in Santa Fe. 
And he said, the way we do business is whoever sells the property, that's who gets the commission. I thought, cool. I said, that works for me. And so I started selling these lots and selling these lots. And I sold 19 of the 22 lots. I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars of real estate. And the guys that bought them from me relisted the properties back with me. But I got a call from Colgrove, Mr. Colgrove, and uh, that old raspy voice, Mr. Sylvester, it was not son anymore. It was Mr. Sylvester. He said, uh, the vice president from New York is here, and he'd like to meet you. And I said, Mr. Colgrove, I'm sorry I don't have time to meet you. I'm out showing your property today. <laughs> but it was like, you know, I, it was, you know, I had that tendency to be arrogant. You know, I was just like, you know, I, I'm the man. I'm the one that you want to see. And then when I you know, kind of took the back seat, it was just like, you know, now the, the vice president of the company from New York wants to meet me. The Bible tells us that a man's gift will open a way for him. And that's exactly what happened to David. A man's gift, God's gifting, God's anointing in his life opened the, the way for him. So, you know, you will be tested in this area of, of arrogance. You, you'll have an opportunity to, you know, be, you know, to be arrogant towards someone and in that arrogance be rebellious toward them. The second test that we see that David goes through is the abuse test. Now, this distressing spirit from the Lord came upon uh, Saul as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear right into the wall, so David fled and escaped through the night. Now, you remember that when they came back from that first battle, after David killed the giant, the women are in the street, and they're saying that Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And so this is just like it, you know, just really troubled Saul, and Saul wanted to kill David. But I want to just tell you that, you know, when you're in an abusive situation, we see here that Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he, David, slipped away from the presence or from Saul's presence, and Saul drove the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Now, we know that David was a greater warrior. He was a stronger warrior. It would have been real easy, and probably you and I in that same situation would have picked up that same spear and said, you want the spear? Let me give it to you, you know, and hurled it back at him. But, you know, David, it said, he slept, uh, slipped away in the middle of the night, and he fled. And I would just tell you that in an abusive situation, anytime that you're in a situation like that, you need to get to a safe place. And I want to just kind of focus on you know, spousal abuse here for a second. Because, you know, I, I heard uh, Jimmy Evans say uh, last week, he says that, you know, the first time that you're abused, you're a victim. But the second time you're abused, you're a volunteer. You need to get to a safe place. You need to get out of that situation, take you and your children and flee and run to a safe place. And you can say, look, I love you and I want this marriage to work. But unless you get some help, we are staying here and you are staying there. I will not submit myself or my children to an abusive situation because I know that God loves me and he cares for me and God would not have me submit myself to this situation. Amen? All right. So um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, 
Therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to kings or supreme or to governors or to those that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those that will do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you must put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, I want to tell you, there is a difference between um, abuse and, um, and, 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 and submitting yourself to suffering, allowing your, yourself or, or being put in, in a situation where you are suffering for the sake of the Lord. And I'm, we'll cover a couple of scriptures that deal with that. He says that, uh, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, not, yet not using liberty as a cloak or a vice, or for a vice, but as a bondservant of God, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and the gentle, but to the harsh. He's saying, you know, don't just do it to the gentle and to the good uh, masters that you have, but submit yourself to the harsh ones as well. Not abusive, not being abused in that situation, but being submissive to them. He says, uh, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it? If you've been beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, uh, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Let me give you an example of this. And I won't take time to read the, the whole scriptures, but just you know, explain the illustration to you. In Acts chapter 16... Uh, we see that Paul and Barnabas have been, uh, uh, or Paul and Silas have been arrested. They've been thrown into prison, and they have been beaten. They, 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 they've been chained and beaten and thrown into prison. And the next day, the magistrates come and say, you know, you guys get out of here. We taught you a lesson. And Paul says, wait a minute. You beat me. I'm a Roman citizen. I didn't have a trial. You beat me uncondemned. I didn't have a trial. You're not going to just let me go that way. I'm not going that way. He says, I want those that threw me into prison and those that beat me, I want them to come because I'm a Roman citizen and I have rights as a Roman citizen. All right. And then we, we read a couple of chapters later in Acts chapter 22 that it says that uh, the commander seized Paul and uh, ordered him to be beaten. And Paul says, wait a minute. I'm a Roman citizen. You're going to beat me uncondemned? Now, the one time he chose to suffer the affliction, the second time he chose not to, uh, you know, receive the beatings. And the captain got all, you know, worried. He said, tell me, you really are a Roman citizen? He said, absolutely. And the captain says, you know, it was with a great deal of money that I had to pay for my citizenship. Paul says, I was born free. I was born free. The third test that you will see that has to do with rebellion, where you would have an opportunity to rebel, is the advantage test. And we, I talked about this scripture earlier that says, as they dance and they sing, Saul has slain a thousand, David is tens of thousands. They, uh, Saul was very angry. It says, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And so... Uh, David, we know David was a great warrior. He was a great, uh, um, uh, he, he was a great soldier. And he was actually greater 
than Saul in this area. He had the advantage over Saul in this area. Let me give you just a couple of examples. David arose. Saul has got 3,000 men. They're hunting David like a dog in the wilderness. It says that David arose afterwards, went out of the cave, and he called to Saul. He says, uh, he says, my lord, the king, he says, and when Saul looked at him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down, and David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has delivered you into my hands to stay in the cave. Just a little background on this. Saul had gone into a cave. David had already been in the cave hiding there. And while Saul was in the cave, David went up and cut off the corner of his robe. And so David is saying, he says, why do you listen to the words of the men that say that David wants to bring you harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, know and see that there is neither evil or rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you. And Saul responds. He says, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his hands and he wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hands, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Now listen to this. Here comes the little, the little cap to this. I know, now I know indeed, that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. So we see that David had an advantage. He could have killed Saul. Uh, he could have, you know, took the spear and just run him through with it. David was, um, David was a stronger warrior. And you're always going to have the advantage over someone in a situation like this. You will be stronger. You'll be more intelligent. You'll, you'll be prettier or more handsome. You'll, you'll have some kind of gift that elevates you and what God is saying, don't use that gift to put your, you know, that person down, the person that you had the advantage over. Don't use it for evil, but use it for good to build them up, to raise them up, and God will be glorified. Think about this for a second. I, I've thought about this a lot. But what would Israel have looked like if Saul would have embraced David? I mean, just think about it. I mean, it's like, man, you have the best of both worlds. You got this great young warrior there that's just like leading the nation. You got Saul, you know, if he was a godly man and put away rebellion from his life. I mean, what could have Israel have looked like? But because of Saul's rebellion toward David, and because his rebellion toward God, you know, he lost it all. He would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord. And finally, the association test. Each of you will be tested in this area of who you associate with. And this is speaking about the death of Saul. Uh, the report comes to uh, David that Saul and Jonathan have been killed. And so we pick up in verse uh, 5. It says, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his sons, are dead? Then the young man told him, he said, it happened by chance on Mount Gilboa, 
There was, uh, there was Saul leaning on a spear, and indeed the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called me. This is the Amalekite. And uh, uh, I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? So I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me again, please stand over me. This is Saul speaking to the Amalekite. Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. And so I stood over him and I killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I brought them, to, brought them here to my Lord. Now, I don't believe that last part. I believe that he had the crown and I believe that he had the bracelet, but I don't think he had David in mind at all. I think he just got busted along the way. But uh, anyway, be that whatever, whatever it is, but uh, remember that David would not bring harm to Saul because he recognized Saul as being, you know, one of his God's anointed, that God had put him in that place and that David was not going to interfere. He was not going to move in the flesh and get Saul out of the way so that he could become king, although some of his men insisted on it and encouraged him to kill Saul. And David said to him, how was it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for you with your own mouth you have testified, or your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Now David was not going to allow this man, this king killer, into the camp. I mean, you don't, a king doesn't allow another king killer to come into the camp. And so he cut that man off. Now, the Bible says, don't be deceived that bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as, it, uh, as is right, and don't keep on sinning or do not go on sinning. So, uh, guys, I want to just kind of, you know, bring this to an end right here. You know, I, I want us to think about the rebellion uh, that we saw, just backing up to our story in Luke, where a man had a vineyard, he planted a vineyard, and he set tenants in charge of that vineyard and that they would not hear every time he sent to collect fruit um, or the increase of that vineyard, they would not listen to him. They beat the servants, beat the first, second, third servants. Old Testament prophets are represented there. And then finally he sends his son, and they kill his son. Now, Jesus kind of wrapping up his last few days in Jerusalem, speaking to the religious leaders that had already set in motion this plot to have Jesus arrested. And he goes on and he tells another story. He says, what do you think? There was a man that had two sons. And he said to the first, he said, son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he said, I will go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first they answered, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. But afterwards, the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent. And believe him. And then he tells another parable right on the heels of this. He's saying, you know, I, I, I'm asking you to go work. He tells the story about, you know, a man that had two sons. He said, I want you to go work in my vineyard. 
Warham said, you know, that he wouldn't go, but he changed his mind and ended up going. The other one said that he would go, but afterwards he changed his mind and didn't go. And then he says in this parable, he said he, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was approaching Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God was going to be brought to light and shone forth immediately. And he said, therefore, uh, a certain nobleman went into a distant, distant country, talking about himself, to obtain a kingdom and then to return. And calling ten of his own bondservants, he gave them ten minas, which is equal to about a hundred days' wages, or nearly twenty dollars. And he said to them, buy and sell with these while I go, and then return. But listen to this. It says, but his citizens detested him and sent an embassy after him saying, we do not want this man to become ruler over us. Isn't that exactly what the religious leaders did? Isn't that exactly what the story was about? That a king established a kingdom and put men in the vineyard and he sent these servants to collect. And they're like, no, we are not going to pay honor to this man. We will not have this man rule over us. Uh, and I just, I, I need to ask you, I mean, this is kind of a, a time, just a moment of self-reflection. Is there something, is there something that God has asked you to do that you're not doing? Now, you know what, let me, let me just, you know, I, I think that many times we want a specific word from God. God, you know, where do I work? Who do I marry? Where do I live? What kind of car do I buy? You know, we ask all of these, these kind of these specific questions to God. Let me just tell you something. God's not going to give you a specific answer. He's not going to give you a specific word if you're not following the general word. What is God saying? What is he, to these men, he says, I want you to be in charge of my kingdom. I want to see fruit come from my kingdom. And I would just ask you today, has God asked you anything about the kingdom at all? Has God spoke to you about, you know, working someplace in the kingdom? The Bible tells us that we were created for good works. That you were created for good works. But all, everyone in this room, God says that his word says he's given you gifts and talents. And in this story where these men said, we will not have this man rule over us. We will not have this man rule over us. God says that he gave each of those men some talents and he came back looking for an increase. He came back looking for fruit. I want to tell you, you know, ladies and gentlemen, that God has given you gifts and he has given you talents. And when he comes, comes back, he's going to be looking for fruit. And we're going to have to answer those two questions, those two great questions. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And what did you do with your life? Two questions. So when someone stands up and makes an appeal <laughs> to work in a, in a nursery, you know, our hearts ought to be just, Lord, is that where you want me to work? Or, you know, when someone calls, Donald, you know, set out a call for, you know, people to kind of help one of our members move yesterday. And many of you showed up and helped for that. But I want to just tell you that, that God has called each of us to do something. Now, we can sit in our little houses and we can say, I will not have this man rule and reign over me. That my life is my life.
and I'm going to do with my life whatever I want to do. Now, you know, I remember, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on Donald this morning. Because for 10 years, we, we, call, we called this guy into leadership. And for 10 years, he had an excuse. <laughs> I gotta build, I'm building a house. I'm doing this. I'm raising children. Hey, everybody's building a house. Everybody's raising children. Everybody's got a job. And all of a sudden, one day, it's just like the light bulb goes off. And I have to say that he's been one of the greatest servants that this church has ever seen. I, I wanted to tell you that God's calling you. Without question, I'm telling you that God is calling you with your gifts and with your talents to serve. All right. So we're going to have communion. But before we do, I want the worship team, if you guys will come back. And... Um, God, this is a time for honesty, okay? I'm going to be honest with you, and I want you to be honest with me. Now, I told you that, you know, I explained to you just how great my real estate business was doing. And I got to the place where I, I had the number one real estate company in Santa Fe that specialized in the selling of land. And when I was right at the top of that, you know what I heard God say? You're not going to believe it. I mean, it was my dream. It was my dream to get to that place, to reach that level of sale. But you know what I heard God say? Ron, close your office. And I'm like, what? You got, surely you're not talking to me. And that can't be God's voice. That can't be God's voice. That's got to be somebody else's voice. But you know what? Remember when I talked about how patient God was? A year goes by, and I'm, I'm still cranking it out. I mean, I'm still making sales. And the Holy Spirit said, Ron, close your office. And this time, there was a little more intensity in that voice. And then again, about a year goes by, and I hear that voice saying, Ron, close your office. And I'm like, surely God. You can't mean this. You can't mean this. It's just like what I dreamed about. But, you know what I did? And, you know, shortly after I closed my office, you know what came open? A pastor's position. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a pastor because my office was doing so good. I'm, I'm, I'm counting the cost. That's what Jesus says, count the cost. I'm counting the cost. Do I really want to do this? Is this what I want to do? Do I want to quit all of this success and, you know, start following God and serving God and be a pastor? And guys, I got to tell you, honestly, I didn't want to. I really didn't. But the more the time went on, I had more peace following the voice of God than I had keeping my office and being successful in real estate. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that if God is calling you, that you will have more peace following God than doing what you're doing right now. I mean, are you in? Anybody in this morning? <laughs> I, I want us to be in. I want us to be in. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I want to pray for you. And... Um,
I, why don't we just go ahead and just stand for just a moment, if you would, please. Let me just ask you this question. If you've been living, look, guys, please, you know, I've already shared, I've tried to be open with you about my rebellion toward God, my not wanting to do what God wanting me to do, me not wanting to do what God wanted me to do. Uh, I want you to be honest back. Because I believe that, you know, we're entering a year. We're, we're getting ready. There's, there's one thing about not serving God if he's called you. It, you know, let me, let me just give you some examples. Remember the Gadarene demoniac? You guys remember that story? So, he's in this, living in a cemetery, living among the tombs. And Jesus goes to visit him and, you know, calls out his name. And, you know, he says, We're, you know, my name is Legion because I've got a thousand demons in me. There's no way that that guy could have served God. There's just no way that he could serve God. But when Jesus cast out those demons out of that man, you know the first thing that he says? Lord, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. I, I want to be with you. I want to be with your disciples. You know what the Lord told him? He says, no. He says, just go back home and tell your friends and your family about the great things that God has done to you, that God has done for you. See, I, I believe that there was no way prior to Jesus showing up in that guy's life that he could actually serve God. There's no way that, you know, some of you, I mean, if, if you've got a health issue, if you've you're just got chronic pain, it's difficult to serve God that way. If you've got some you know, spiritual issues, if you're in bondage, any kind of bondage to sin like this guy was, the gathering demoniac, it's difficult for you to serve God. And that's why, you know, after the first of the year that we're, you know, bringing in... Uh, Mark and Lisa and Karen with the Celebrate Recovery Program to help you get well. I mean, it's one thing that, you know, you can't serve God because, you know, you have a handicap or you're, you're held back, but we want to help you get well so that you can serve God, that you can be like the, the man that was called Legion or the Gathering Demoniac, that after he was well, he was ready to serve God. Now, there's a difference between that kind of person that's dealing with a, you know, a hurt or a habit or a hang-up Versus the person that just, out of rebellion, just says, I'm not going to serve you, God. I'm just going to live my life. But I just want to ask you right now, regardless of what category you're in, you may be in the just the overt, God, I don't care. I'm living my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't, I'm not going to serve you. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to die. I go to heaven, and I'll see you there. I'll take the lowest mansion in heaven. At least I'm getting in. It's kind of attitude sometimes we have. But see, God doesn't want us to have that kind of attitude. He wants us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He wants you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And when I'm putting God on the back burner, I'm not loving Him with all my heart, my mind, and my soul. I'm just like, I'm cafeteria God. I want this, this, and this. I want that word. I want to hear God when... When I'm checking on my 401k or when I'm checking on my, my stocks today, Lord, I need to hear you. Should I go here or should I go there? That's when we really want to hear God. See, I, I believe that God is speaking to every one of us right now.
he's saying, I got a place for you. I got a place for you to serve. And, you know, it's not in your own strength and it's not in your own ability. But God's saying, I've given you gifts and talents and they're hidden within you. And if you'll just let me draw those out, we'll make a difference in Santa Fe. You'll make a difference as a husband, as a wife. You'll make a difference as a teacher, as a boss. You'll make a difference on the job place. We'll make a difference in this community. And Santa Fe really will become the light of the world. That's what we want. It happens when we put all of our gifts and talents together.